the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Dennis and Julie. Julie Hartman is the Dennis and Julie second name. We come to you every week, and I think a lot. How do I describe this podcast to people who've never heard it? And I know this sounds odd, especially since I take pride in being able to describe a lot of things and make complex things more understandable. I can't fully describe what we have because there's no analog. I guess the closest I get, which is almost meaningless, is it's real. I was just about to say that. Is that that right? Yes. If I had to distill it into one word, it would be either real or human. But then that's such a throwaway. It seems like a throwaway because people go, oh, this is... But that's the best thing you could have. But it genuinely is. So this is a phenomenon... This fifty-year difference, and so and so close, and so in tune. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, it's the sort of the most obvious thing, and I think I just ought to acknowledge it. But I think people, I think people pick up on on. I hope they what, do what we have. You know, I was speaking with a friend the other day. I was catching up with her, and she it was very sweet of her. She listened to the last few episodes of the show, and she loves it. And she said to me, "My God, Julie, I just." can't believe how honest you are you talk about a few episodes i said that i fear that one day i'm going to get married and my husband's going to cheat on me i talk about my sister with autism and the very personal things that we've been through with her with regard to her care and obviously you talk very much about things that are personal in your life your son's previous addiction problems your own fears etc and she said it's it's just i i can't believe that you do that publicly knowing you you do that privately, but it's really a leap to do that in front of so many people. And I just, I said to her, I can't be a different person on air than I am off air. I know we've said this a million times, but this is just us, whether we have a microphone in front of us or not. These conversations are so authentic and it's not even an option for me not to share with this audience, those personal things. So it reminds me of and if I told this, you'll know because you're a living recording machine. <laughs> I am. You are. No, you I simply know. are. So a guy called me about a year ago, said, Dennis, I have the perfect word to describe you. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> God, only God knows where this is coming from. Right. But I take these risks. I go, and what is that, sir? You're transparent. Did I say this on that? I word? thought he was going to say transgender every time I oh, hear trans. Oh, well, all right, so listen. So in light of that, <laughs> listen to this. So I said, sir, just want you to know that's a great compliment. And that that has been my ambition since I began radio. Mm-hmm. I 
I believed, and I turned out to be right, that the better people know me, the more they will take my ideas, yes. which is what matters to me seriously. Yes. And I, I, I don't know. I'm sure I've mentioned this, but maybe not on, on our podcast. There are a few things. One of the following is always said to me by strangers. And there's no day that I'm in public, like at an airport or in a restaurant, that a stranger doesn't come over to me, at least one. Except so in it, Logan Airport. Except you have a great memory. See, I really right? am a That's recording right. machine. Boston Airport. I could have been nude. It, it, it was irrelevant. <laughs> so the uh, one is, my God, you're much taller than I thought. Another one is uh, that, uh, you know, Dennis, I feel like I know you, to which I always have the same response. You do. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Great so, so yes. So anyway, so you don't know the joke about my son then on the transparent? No. Oh god. This is one of the great moments of my life. I know it'll sound I'm I sound like I'm overstating it, but I laughed so hard. It was so witty. So I was at a PragerU fundraiser in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm-hmm. My uh, older son is the head of fundraising for PragerU because he's so gifted at fundraising. They didn't, I mean, obviously, being my son was a help, but he's just, he's really part of the brain trust at PragerU. He's, he's very important there. Anyway, he was there too. He's the only person I know who travels as much as I do. And I, I gave a talk for PragerU, and I mentioned this guy saying I was transparent. My son then gets up to speak, and he goes, what my dad did not tell you, is the challenge of being raised by a transparent. Oh, my gosh. I I laughed so hard. That is great. I couldn't believe the wit. Is that great? Oh, that's an enormous amount of wit. The only problem is some people listening, maybe not that particular audience, but if a greater audience heard it, they may think that he was literally referring to a transgender parent. Oh, God. He meant me. Of course. Yes. No, it's so witty. I'm just saying it's it's yeah. it, it's a, a marker of today's world that people would hear that and and not think joke. Instead, they would think God, transgender. God, is that true? God, is that... Mm-hmm. Well, well, it was a transgender. It was right, a joke course, about me. Trans- yeah, yeah. But you're right. Anyway, look, I don't want to get sidetracked on the subject, but it is worth noting that leftism and humor do not go together. You, you, because... Every joke, this was taught to me by a comedian on on my show, in this room, and and he it was brilliant. He said, "Dennis, all jokes, all humor, has two things: surprise and a victim." Yep. And you can't have a victim. You can't offend anyone. On the left. That's right. Every joke is offensive. Yeah, what's, Tom Dreesen. That's right, Tom Dreesen. Yeah. Who, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he was the comedian. Oh, he was. He, yeah, I thought he, I thought it might be Adam Carolla. No, no, it was Tom. Right. Well, I just want to say it made me think of this as you were talking about um, when people come up to you and say that you're so uh, that they feel that they know you and you say that they do. I remember when I first was 
I like to say, discovered you. I sent so many of your clips, in addition to PragerU clips, to my friends in college. And obviously, the vast majority of them disagreed with you. And I remember one of them said, actually, a few of them said, oh, well, he's just, you know, a right-wing talking piece. He's just parroting what all the other right-wingers say, etc. And I remember in that moment thinking... Okay, I understand if you disagree with Dennis. We can have a conversation about that. But to say that he's parroting or essentially that he's just a mouthpiece, I think that, I mean, to me it was just so clear how authentic you were. And even when I, you know, there were, and still to this day, even when there are things you're talking about on the radio that I may not fully agree with, I never question your authenticity. Obviously now, because I know you, I know how authentic you are. But back when I didn't know you, it was very, very clear just hearing the way you speak that you're genuine. So it raises the question, what are they hearing when they listen to you? It it really fascinates me. Like, okay, again, I get it if you disagree with him. But to say that he's not authentic, what are they lying? Are they truly hearing something different? Okay, so I, I have a partial answer. Okay. This is actually a very important issue. If I'm authentic, it disrupts their universe. And I'll explain why. People on the left overwhelmingly are intentions judges, not results judges. The reason they think they're wonderful is because they know they have good intentions. Therefore, If intentions are what make you right and good, Mm -hmm. those with whom you differ must have bad intentions. Mm -hmm. See, I don't deny that a lot of leftists have good intentions. Right. My only answer is it doesn't mean a damn thing. Right. The amount of evil that comes from good intentions is greater than the amount of evil that comes from bad intentions. That, I think, is one of the greatest truth bombs, as Sean likes to call them, that I've heard from you. And I heard when I was, again, kind of becoming acquainted with conservative ideas because before I remember even saying to my friends a couple of years ago well if someone has good intentions you know I'm not going to hate them if they do something bad and that is the one way that I think probably the biggest way that my ideas have been transformed now I really do judge people on their actions rather than their intentions I haven't heard that from you. I know. Yeah, it's actually interesting. That's very big. Because there were few things, as I like to say a lot in this show, I think I was always deeply, inherently conservative, but, but finding you gave me the vocabulary to express it. That is the one way that I actually did kind of turn around. The notion that actions are everything and intentions mm-hmm. are or virtually nothing. Of course, intentions matter. If, if I kill somebody and it was because the hammer flew out of my hand, mm-hmm. is different than if I went with a hammer and bashed of someone's course. head. In. Of course. But, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. it is the most revolutionary idea one can hold that you judge people by their behavior. Look, this is the big, it, the big Jewish Christian difference in religion, and I am. Is, I am the most pro-Christian, uh, non-Christian in America, probably. According to the Young Turks, you're a Christian uh, uh, fanatic uh, or something. No, no, Christian Suck bu- up. butt kisser. Oh, butt kisser, that's right. Right, but they didn't use the word butt. Yes, yes. that's exactly right. So so th- this w- Judaism holds, and this is one of the few things all Jews would agree with, God judges people by their behavior, not their faith. 
and th- th- we have the battle with the left, your your behavior's consequences are all that matter, not did you mean well. Mm-hmm. The teachers who are uh, who are sexualizing five-year-olds mean well. Oh, we want to protect the, uh, the, the transgender and the non-binary and so on. Mm-hmm. It is the most revolutionary view you can have that behavior is everything. I may have mentioned this a few episodes ago. Even I, the human recording machine, can't remember. But my high school, I know I said this, that my high school has gotten unbelievably woke. But one of the, out of all of the ways that it's gotten woke, I think the most shocking thing that I heard is that now when students cheat on tests, they are not suspended but rather they have to do a project that they present to their teachers or perhaps to a member of the administration on what they learned from cheating. And this was astounding to me because when I They learned you could get away with it. Yeah, exactly. That's the lesson that they learned. Um, But when I went to the school, I was on the honor council, and I was also on the honor council at Harvard, basically a very small group of students and faculty that adjudicate honor code violations. And... I just couldn't believe, I mean, for so many reasons, it's preposterous, but you're assuming ahead of the person cheating that they are going to cheat and then be remorseful and learn something from it. It's a, it's a very odd way of looking at things, but even just this new diktat at my school shows that they don't think that behavior has consequences. The fact that you can cheat on a test and all you have to do is talk about what you learned shows that be, that you, your behavior and deeming certain behavior unacceptable is a meaningless pursuit to the left. That is why I would like a billboard campaign, and I mm-hmm. maybe I'll try to talk Prigger you into it. So I would like a billboard campaign that had an alternate view of God's behavior than the normal one, God loves you, God judges you. Mm-hmm. I would like billboards across the country that said, reminder, God judges you. I'll, I'll, I think we would get more good oh, totally. than from God loves you. That just made me think of, I just said that the intentions and then behavior idea was something that I kind of switched on. Another thing that you alerted me to that I've also changed my thinking on is, A, not that God loves me, but God judges me. I think about that more now. And also, um, oh, what was the second one? It had to do with God. God loves, God doesn't, what was it? Damn it. Hold on. Oh, fearing God. That's what it was. When you fear God. By the way, that was very quick. I know. Well, to remember what you forgot. I know. Usually takes people, oh, I'll come back to it later. I was sitting there going, Julie, you're on a podcast. You're being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Dig it up in your brain. Dig it up in your brain. But yes, that's the second thing that um, now, of course, I'm forgetting it now. Oh, fearing God. Instead of I love God, it should primarily be I fear God. Right. Because as you said on your radio show the other day, I was driving and as so often when you drop a truth bomb, I, I said, boom, out loud when you said it as I was driving, when I heard it. You said, when you fear God, so many other things in life you fear less. And as we see nowadays, people are crippled 
crippled by fear. This morning, I was with my mom at um, the dermatologist's office, and we were walking into the building, and they were asking us to put on masks. And we got up to the elevator, and my mom and I were like, you know that we're not um, mean people. You know, we will be respectful. But we just turned to the guy at the front who was asking us to put on the mask, and we said, COVID is over. Even the president of the United States, Joe Biden, said that COVID is over. Do we really, in September of 2022, still need to wear a mask that we also have seen is utterly ineffective? And there was a woman standing there, probably about your age, and she said, I will not get in an elevator with you if you do not wear a mask. So we were forced to put it on. That is not a God-fearing I would have said good. <laughs> right, we should have. Yeah. Honestly, that's what I thought. I that's was like, right. well, yes, okay, more right. room so for th- me. That's right. But that is not a God-fearing woman. So many times in life when I see people now have irrational fears, thanks to you, I think that's not a God-fearing person. That's you're, an irrational-fearing person. You, right. That's exactly right. So since we're talking about this, here's... Here's a real mind blower for you. Okay. We're only told to fear one other creature or individual or entity in the Bible or in the, in the certainly in the, really? in the Torah. Yeah. What is it? Think about it. Take a guess. Or you may not be able to guess. I don't, I mean, yes, I, don't, I right. don't think it's the serpent. There's No, no, no. Oh, oh no. It's a real individual. Your mother and father. Oh, really? Yes. Well, I know that there's, as you talk about often, the commandment to honor your mother and father, but wow. So, that's right. Where does it say that? Uh, in, uh, I believe it's in Exodus, which you almost have memorized, but it, it's there. Ish imova aviv tirau. A man shall fear his mother and father. And mother is put first deliberately because you're more likely to fear your father. That misogynistic Bible. Wow. No, no, the opposite. I know. I'm saying I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're entirely right. Oh. They think it's so misogynistic. The, the, the inherent women's equality in the Torah is, is mind-blowing, the first five books. So only God, I'm going to be speaking about this uh, uh over, over the high holy days that I, that, you know, my services that I conduct, I decided to talk about parents because the undermining of parental authority is one of the root causes of our tragedy. Mm-hmm. And the only creatures we're told to honor are God and parents. The only creatures we're told wow. to fear are God and parents. Wow. It, it's a wow. It is a wow. When you bring this stuff up, I'll tell you, the first thing I think of right now at this point in my life, because I'm preparing for my own show and preparing for a lot more radio guest hosting, is, God, I've really got to read more of the Bible because the wisdom in there is just unparalleled. And look at, I mean, look how rich this discussion is. And you can just pull out these facts. It's so it's so good content-wise. But also, I know I've told you this over the phone, but I haven't said it here. When I read the Bible, I'm so much calmer. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting, and it's a reaction I didn't expect to have. Mm. But as you know, and as our listeners know, I struggle hugely with insomnia. Whenever whenever we talk on the phone, Dennis says to me, if we're talking at night, he goes, sleep well, and with you, I really, really mean it and hope for it, because you know how, how hard it is for me. But I have been finding that if I read the Bible before I go to sleep, I would think that it would... Um, 
make my mind more active and get me wired, it actually makes me calmer. Because it gives me when so much so much of this what's going on in this country You're in the world in is touch uncertain. With the eternal. Yes. Oh, that's a great way to put it. That's right. It's a great way to put it. When you're only in touch with what's going on now, mm-hmm. you can go crazy. On the other hand, religious people must be in touch with what's going on now. They right. can't only be in touch with the eternal. Right. But as you point out with regard to secular secularism, we see the extreme of people focusing too much on the eternal. That's right. We don't talk about or see, I mean, I, I, we see it, but people in general writ large don't talk about the extreme that happens when you focus too much on this world. Life, a good life for a society or an individual is is moder- a moderate life. Mm-hmm. The human being is an extremist by by nature. The na- your nature is to be extreme, extreme secular, extreme religious. That's interesting. Oh, yes. I haven't heard you talk about that before. I know. It's true. I haven't. You should. You I should, should do an Ultimate Issues hour Yes, that's right. I, I had a very interesting, I'll give an example. I had a very interesting dialogue just before this with a very big uh, uh, pro-life podcaster, Catholic woman who is a big fan of mine, was very you know, very happy to have me on. And it came up about compromising on legislation with regard to, with regard to uh, abortion. And I said, one of my guiding principles of life is the best is the enemy of the better. And I said, if, if we could have legislation that made exceptions for rape and incest, then of course I'm for it. Yes. Because it reduces abortions by 99%. How many are rape and and, and incest? Infinitesimally small. So I said, you have a choice in life. And she agreed with me. I was very, very happy about that. I said, you have a choice in life. Feel good or do good. You feel good if you say, look, the, the... the child born of a rape is just as precious as the child born of, of love in right. marriage. Right. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only issue. We're not talking about the preciousness of that life. We're talking about reducing abortion by a tremendous percentage if we compromise. You're not the only one who's lost money this year. With the current economic volatility, we've all got to find a way to protect our finances and retirement. One way to do this is to invest in gold. I'm considering Lear Capital to add to my retirement as we are looking for stable investments. It's a great company, and I'm considering putting gold in my IRA. Right now, we have record high inflation and interest rate hikes that cause the stock market to sink. The great inflation of the 70s and early 80s lasted over a decade, with gut-wrenching bear markets and long-lasting turbulence ahead. The cost of everything is insane. I think we're in this for a while, folks. Are you thinking about how this is impacting your savings or retirement? If not, you should be. I'm considering gold and silver for my portfolio. Did you know that you can add physical gold and silver to your IRA or 401k? If you want to learn more, call Lear Capital today and ask about the Lear Advantage IRA. You can transfer or roll over your old 401k or IRA into a gold tax-free and penalty-free account. And to sweeten the deal, 
Lear is offering free shipping on every purchase and up to $15,000 in bonus silver to every qualified client. Call for details at 1-800-260-5075. You can get a free precious metals investor guide and work with the top-rated precious metals company on consumer affairs with a near-perfect rating on Trustpilot. Lear Capital is the gold standard in precious metals investing and has over $3 billion in trusted transactions with over 650,000 happy customers in the 25 years they've been in business. Call 1-800-260-5075 to get your free kit. See how gold has performed during periods of inflation, government debt, interest rate hikes, economic crashes, and even wars, and you'll see that gold has been that financial bedrock asset in portfolios. And what I really love about Lear Capital is that they're an American-owned company, proud to do business with Americans that share our conservative values. So write this number down and give them a call today, 1-800-260-5075. That's 1-800-260-5075. 1-800-260-5075. And if you don't want to call, you can simply go to the link below to learn more. I love that you bring this up because I was thinking about this driving the other day. I so often notice that when people are trying to get bills passed through Congress, they go for these big sweeping changes that are just unachievable. Like look look at a lot of the climate change initiatives that are being peddled right now. They're like we're going to look at what's happening in California. They want to eliminate all gasoline uh, powered mm-hmm. cars by 2035. Right. That's a pretty audacious goal. And I was thinking Well, it's it's worse than audacious. Oh, of course. It, I mean it's, it's asinine. It's it's right. but but even just putting the asininity of that aside, it is very, I mean, it's just blatantly unachievable. And I, I was thinking, why don't we, instead of trying to make these big sweeping changes, why don't we try to reduce, you know, carbon emissions by 15% by the year 2035? Or even with regard to crime, why don't we try because to go into... Because they, they want to change society. Right, of course. They want the sweeping changes. But what if people went into Chicago and said, instead of... I mean, I don't really know many people, especially on the left, who are trying to reduce or eliminate crime in Chicago, but it would be so great if someone just went in there and said, hey, we would love for the shootings to go down by 90%, but that's not realistic. So why don't we make a target in the next three years to try to reduce them by uh, 20%. That's right. Then, you, you got it. Then more lives would be saved that's than right. if we went for these huge, sweeping, right. big goals that the don't in, end up being the achieved. The incremental good is always greater than the dramatic good. That is my answer. I have many answers. Why didn't the Torah abolish slavery completely? The answer is nobody would have obeyed it. Slavery was as normal until the 19th century everywhere on earth as breathing. It was a given, some people will be slaves. It was just a given part of life. So it wouldn't have worked. So what it did was it humanized slavery. So for example, there is a law in Exodus, and I beg people to read my rational Bible because they I beg them too. Oh, thank you. I know you do. You practically memorized it. (laughs) No, no, it means the world to me. There is a law, people don't know this. There is a law in Exodus, you cannot return a slave to its owner. This is thousands, 3,000 years before the Dred Scott decision, Mm -hmm. which which said you do return, you do return, because it's not a a full human, it's property. 
You cannot, by the way, I, this is a side issue, but it, it always bothered me. I don't judge people by today's standards. You have to judge them in their time. However, I don't understand any believing Jew or Christian who defended the transatlantic slave trade. It was so counter to biblical law. You mean Jews or Christians at the time? Yes, at the time. Even though I don't, I say, I don't judge people from today's hindsight, but they had the same Bible I do. Right. The Bible says, do not steal in the Ten Commandments. Everyone so did the who, founders. The, the founders had the same Bible that we do. Yes, but they didn't justify it. They had slaves. Got it. But they thought it was a rotten, disgusting institution. Right. They, that's a very important that's, difference. That's true. And I, I know from my class with Harvey Mansfield, my last semester at Harvard, that there was a huge debate over the issue of slavery between the Federalists and the, the Anti-Federalists. I believe it was the Federalists, i.e. the ones that wanted to create the, the national... Mm-hmm centralized government in the constitution that wanted to just stipulate in the document that slavery should be rid of but it was the pro states rights people the anti-federalists who insisted on keeping it in there so it does show that the founders overwhelmingly disliked it well it was was it lincoln who said or is it jefferson i don't remember well jefferson no the one, the one, no well the one who said that uh, i i fear that there is a just god so I'm paraphrasing. It's a very he said, powerful I fear? Statement. Yes, because if there is, there you go. America will have hell to pay for the institution of slavery. Uh, so th- they were very well aware. That's very important that they were. But uh, my point about the religious people who defended slavery, did they not know that the commandment do not steal, and you didn't have to be a Bible scholar to know this, but it, that it's, pr- it's primary intent was do not kidnap do not it was jefferson so i was thank you oh, wow. it was jefferson jefferson who said i fear that there is a just god because of the hell we will pay for slavery just for the record i want people to know that but do not steal jewish or christian doesn't matter what first and foremost you can't steal people people don't know that they think it's just property I said this last time, but the best part about your Torah commentary is that you talk about the original intent yes. of these stipulations, and you translate certain words. Like we were talking about the um, the line, I believe it's also in Exodus, where where um, the that person says to Moses, "We're all holy." It's in it's in oh, numbers. Wait. Yeah, yeah, right. Torah, well, the, the revolution. We're all holy, Moses. No one's better than anyone else. Actually, I'm sorry. That's not the one I, I'm thinking of. It's where you're, you're taught not to envy people. Yeah. Sorry, we talk about so many verses. Right. But there's one so where you're taught coveting, not to envy. people. Yes, that's what that's it is. That's the 10th commandment. And you said it has to do with... Um, what they specifically right. own. Not, you, you can not want one like general. it. Yes. And that's such an important example how yes. people just read it. They think it's an asinine statement. Of course people are going to envy. Of course. It, it's, it's not a, a, it's not it's a ban on envy. It's exactly. not a ban on jealousy. It's right. not a ban on lust. So I want to go back to something. If you lust sure. after your neighbor's wife, okay? That's Just bad. as an example. Okay, no, but it's not coveting. It's still not coveting. Coveting means I want her. Mm. That means I will have to get rid of him. That's why it's that's it's the only thought banned in the Ten Commandments, and it's almost the only one of the six hundred thirteen laws in the Torah. See, I even have to hear it a few times, of even when you I do. because that's right. This is yes. this by the is way, important, what you just said. complex, delicate stuff. Yes, exactly. 
I thought I understood it last time, but that's that's why I reread your your commentary so much. I know. Because I think I can explain something, and then I go back, and it's difficult for me to. And also, when I reread it, I find new things each time. It's it's incredible. I really think it's your best work, and I I'm, I know that's a compliment, but it's true. I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago because I'm I'm very curious to know your response. You said that it was I don't know if you specifically said that it was a good thing, but I'm paraphrasing. You said it was a good thing that the Torah didn't totally ban or eliminate slavery because you said it humanized slavery. Can you expand get, on that? Yes. Well, for example, you can return a slave. If you kill your slave, you get killed. If you if you uh, chop his hand off, your hand gets chopped out. That never happened. But right. I'm, I'm saying the same laws applied to slaves as to other humans. Your slave had to rest on the Shabbat on Sabbath. Yes. What I other what that. other what other civilization said that you rest, he rests. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a limit of seven years. I mean, it, it, it was. It, it really, by the way, it wasn't really slavery. It was indentured servitude, which is, by the way, how most whites came to America. I know. That, no, how many people know that? That I know from my... I didn't even know that prior to reading the book that I'm reading now, A History of the American People by Paul Johnson. It's astounding. And people were tripping over themselves in Britain to be indentured servants because they so badly that, wanted to yes, go to the New World. That's exactly and right. And it allowed people who were who otherwise would not yep. have had the money because primarily the people that came to the New World were those who invested in the Virginia Company. And because they invested, they were allowed to go on the boat over to the New World. But those people that didn't have the money to invest in those private charter companies that Britain had be- were indentured servants for five years, and then they owned land in the New World. It was it was uh, paradoxically the greatest way to facilitate social mobility at the time. That's why you got to know history. People don't – and I don't, I don't necessarily blame everyone. I didn't oh, get it either. Oh, my God. It's so painful. That's why my show, my new show is going to be very history focused. It's not going to be a rote academic seminar, but every single episode, it's so important to me to have the audience members leave with two or three facts I, about you history. You know, it's funny. You majored in history and I majored in history. Every time and I guess was for you. neither of us became a historian. Well, I kind of, I mean, maybe it's uh, self-aggrandizing for me to disagree with you, but Every single hour that I guest host for you or guest host for the other Salem hosts, I constantly do a history hour. I devote one hour of the three hours to history. So I guess I like to call myself a little bit of a historian. I meant like a professor of history. Well, those, oh, well, those that, historians that, truly historian know nothing. I'm too, then, in that sense. Yes, I would. Yeah, no, I no, I mean, that, I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying I, I, I practice history. Right. But it is... It, I'm, I'm noting, however, we didn't go into it as the as our field, and yes. yet we both majored in history. Yes. It's just another fascinating parallel of, of our lives. Mm-hmm. There are many. Did, by the way, did you study any foreign languages? No, that's one. That I was actually thinking about that recently. Wait, I don't understand. You're a leaf. Girls' high school did not teach a foreign language. Oh no, they they did, but I wouldn't even call myself required? a student of it because I was so terrible at it. No, it was required. I took Spanish. What did Spanish. you study? Spanish. And so you don't have. I a, can't speak a lick of it. Uh huh. That's it's embarrassing. So look, it wasn't my priority. Language is just like music, and I'm convinced that I'm since I know I'm I'm musical. It has massively helped my my 
linguistic abilities. Mm-hmm. I so I learned Hebrew from the age of five, so that that was easy. And it's not a, the world's easiest language, so I, I'm very happy that it, there are much harder languages. Arabic is still harder. Chinese is infinitely harder. Thai, Vietnamese, all the tonal languages are harder. Anyway. What do you mean by tonal languages? Oh, oh, so this is fascinating. So we don't have tones in the, in the Western world. Tone, I'll, I'll give you an example, even though I don't know Chinese or Thai or Vietnamese. So house. Okay, I said house, but if. If I said house or house, there would be a different word. The tonality of the of the word is a function of its meaning. So the same word, but same said word. in different tones. Yes, that's wow. why it's so hard for a Westerner to learn. Wow. Yes. So those are all harder than... I never than, knew that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, so I knew when I... So I took French in high school. By the way, you'll find this admirable. I could have taken either French or Spanish. Those were the choice. And I, and I remember why I took French. I thought Spanish is easier, so I'm going to take French. I, I, and by the way, it ended up saving my life because of a street fight I got in Morocco. All of these weird never decisions. Heard this. I know you never well, look. There's still stuff left. I don't know. All right, I'll tell the story. It. Okay, ready? If Sean wants to hear the story. I'm dying to hear it. If, you, if the two of you want to, I'm going to say no. Okay. How about you, Alex? Rick, you guys want to hear it? They're not listening. They're, they're, they're playing hearts. So, <laughs> they probably are. <laughs> they probably are. They're not. They're not. They're playing solitaire. So, uh, well, this is quite a story. So, I was 20, I wasn't, I was 20 years old. I was studying in England. I had, I, I I got this award to study anywhere in the world, all expenses paid. They, they gave it to one student at Brooklyn College, I, and thank God I won it, which is a great story into itself for another time. But you got to remember, because it, it's revealing about me you've, and my life. You've told it, I believe, on this program. It's a great story. That me and that award? Yes, how you went in and the guy said... Uh, oh, about the languages? Yes. Okay, fine. I mean, so I'll leave that for now. So I went to England, and during Christmas vacation, or winter vacation, whatever they called it, I decided I got, I got to see the world. This was always my dream. I took a train from England, you're crossing the channel or by boat, then a train all the way down Europe to the bottom of Spain, Algeciras, and there I got a boat to Morocco. Incredible. Yeah, on, uh, right, on my own. So when, while I was in Morocco, I was there for two weeks. And while I was there, I went to Marrakesh, which is a very exotic city. And I was there, part of the time was going to be a Shabbat, a Sabbath. So I looked up, I don't know how I looked them up, but I went to the Jewish community because they lived in a, their own communal area. And they took me in. They wanted me to marry their daughter. I'll never forget that. This, you know, really, yeah, this strapping young American Jew. Did you tell her that you love ethical monotheism? That's hilarious. I wish everybody, Sean, finds it. It's a, it is hilarious what you just said. Uh, no, that's correct. Do you know that I still have a picture of the of the daughters of this family? 
Oh, my gosh. One of whom they wanted me to marry from when I was 20. Wow. I got to find that. You oh, do. Oh, I'm God. very interested to see that. That is so precious. God. You should put that in your autobiography. Of course. You're, you're right. So anyway, I spent the Sabbath with this family, Moroccan Jews. And Saturday night after sunset, I left the, the Jewish quarter. And as we came out with these other young guys walking me out, and a bunch, uh, about five guys on motorcycles zoom right to us within inches and start screaming, Juif, Jews. Oh, no. And... Did you have a yarmulke on? I don't know if I did, but they knew who was Jewish. Right. They didn't know I didn't have a... I don't think I had a yarmulke on. Uh, they uh, they might have, but I but they would have been known as Jews anyway, and they they uh, started to uh, kick them. Oh my God! And I remember what went on in my mind. I thought people stood by in the Holocaust. I'm not going to. I, I mean, it was that's what went on. And I I kicked the ringleader so hard, I actually raised him into the air. Oh my gosh! I had wow, Dennis. I'm big. I had adrenaline. The adrenaline, I'm not messing with you. Yeah, you're right. So I didn't know what would happen. And now back to the French. So in French, I said to them, "If you touch me, let me tell you something. I am friends with the American ambassador, who is very close to the king. You will hang from a tree." I could Ooh. say that in French. As and, I would say, boom. And the, and that base, yes, that's you would say, boom. <laughs> that's, I think, I don't know if it saved my life, but it certainly saved me from being beaten. Oh, my gosh. So oh, I took French in high school, and it came to save my That's a motivation for me to brush up on my It certainly Spanish. is. We all know the importance of an education that teaches critical thinking and prepares you for the real world. That's why I encourage anyone considering higher education to consider the King's College. The King's College is a Christian liberal arts college with classes in person in New York City and online. Their core curriculum based on politics, philosophy, and economics teaches students how to interpret, question, and apply the most important texts throughout history. Whether you study business management, philosophy, pre-law, humanities, or one of the other majors and minors offered by the King's College, you'll become the kind of thinker that is on the road to leading with integrity. Graduates from the King's College have even gone on to my alma mater, Harvard, as well as to other great schools like MIT and Georgetown. The drive and passion that is instilled in graduates of the King's College is what sets them apart from other students. So what are you waiting for? Apply to the King's College today for free at tkc.edu. That's tkc.edu. I asked you if you study a foreign language. It is mind-boggling to me that kids don't learn music, art, language, nothing. So, Or history. You started with history. They don't learn much. It, 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 it's a tragedy and, and, a, and, and, and a crime. What, what is done with kids? You've motivated me to to try to learn new languages. You know, there are those apps that can teach you five yeah, minutes a okay. day. Okay, I I think I want to do that. Well, tell me if it works. 
I don't like learning languages by, like that. Most people do. I well, like, I don't really have another option. That's true. You don't. Well, you can have a private tutor, right, which is so the only way I think it works. I, I want to learn how the language is formed. I want. Uh, they say we, so we don't. Similar. We don't teach you grammar. We'll just. We'll just teach you conversation. But if I don't know how the conversation was formed, it is of no interest to me, and I can't learn it. How do you conjugate a verb? I want to know that immediately. So anyway, I love languages, and I learned a few. And oh, you'll get a kick out of this, and so so will the viewers. So here's a personal little tidbit. You, you love this. <laughs> so one of the Prager cruises, which I did over 25 years, was to Russia. And You know, I've been to Russia, too. I didn't know that. On a cruise. I was five years old. Oh. Cupcake Tower. Oh, Cupcake Tower. That's right. That's your name? No, it's the Basilica in you know, Petersburg? in St. Petersburg, and I called it the Cupcake Tower. That's all I could remember when I was five, because the spires look like cupcakes. So we're in St. Petersburg, and on this cruise were some two of my closest friends, Alan Estrin and Dr. Marmer, and their wives, of course. So at the pier, I was with a pretty Russian girl speaking Russian. And Dr. Marvin comes over to me, and he goes, now I know. I was just about to say that. I was about to say, now I know why you love languages so much, so you can just flirt with girls. When you speak (laughs) any bit of their language, you become so desirable. Oh, of course. So can you imagine in my 20s? It was very oh, effective. Me, I bet you picked say. up so many chicks. Well, 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 yeah. I met a guy in college who could speak Spanish and French, and he was, I'm sorry to say, he was not terribly attractive, but that made him 50% more attractive in my eyes than he really was. So it's it's, That's a, right. it's a very yes. attractive thing. You You were just talking about the learning about how the sentences are structured. That actually is what I desire more to learn about with regard to language than the language itself like when you just to- told me about tonal languages i never knew that that is so interesting okay are you ready i'm going to give you a book please i was just about to ask for a book there is a book i i read this book like you read my bible commentary i i don't know how many times i read it it is so relentlessly interesting the oh. story of language by Mario Pai. I'm ordering P-E-I-E. it. I'm getting it immediately. The, it, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read part of it and come back next week if it arrives in time and talk to you guys about it. I am it, so excited for this. Uh, languages is such an interesting subject. So here's a little tidbit. I'll bet you don't know. The two, there are three truly out of this world unrelated to anything languages in, in all of Europe, Finnish, Hungarian, and Albanian. They, it's, like, it's not a mystery philologically, the study of language, but it's a mystery how they developed. They're completely unlike any of their surrounding areas. So just to give an example, Albania in Albanian is Shiperia with a Q, S-H-Q, 
I-P-E-R-I-A. That's like spelling Nietzsche. Remember we did that a few episodes ago. Yeah, but ago. Nietzsche makes sense I mean, right. to, what, to us. Right. That's So I can't speak about Albanian, but Hungarian and Finnish have the same roots. Wow. Yes, but they can't speak to each other. But it's just, it, the whole thing's interesting. I loved, I, I was reading recently about Chinese characters and their numeral oh, system. Yes. And the thing that was, this is actually why I think I, with all due respect to my lovely, lovely Spanish teachers at my high school, and they, they truly were incredible. I'm still in touch with them to this day. I did not enjoy learning Spanish very much, but I did enjoy, again, learning if this makes sense, about the language. Like, hmm. I thought it was interesting that they have gendered verbs or gendered nouns because that's so different from English. I thought that the way that they kind of um, structure their sentences in reverse of the way that we do it was was also fascinating to well, me. I that's am, what I care I about more. I am certain. That I'll love this book? That, that, that's true, but that's not what, what I was going to say. You, I am certain you will love this book. I am certain that I speak and write English as well as I do because I studied so many foreign languages. I believe it. When you learn the way in which language is formed, you learn your own language better. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly important to learn another language. By the way, it's an example of... I did an interesting hour on the radio a few weeks ago. My three favorite words in English. I know one of them. Yeah. Earn. Right. I think you know two of them. It is no counterpart in other languages, you said. Well, it had very few languages. Very yes. few. The other one, could... like, like I like, I, I like this tea. I like the my, word like the word like. It doesn't. I don't know of any language that has like. Wow. People say, well, it, it, there's an equivalent like in French, il me plaît, which means it pleases me. It pleases me is not the uh, same as I like. I'm sorry. What's the third? Should. Should. I don't like that word, actually. I'll tell you why. Well, actually, first you tell me why you like it. I don't want to yuck your yum. My apologies. You don't have to apologize. I was very curious why you don't like it. Go ahead with why you don't like it. Okay. Actually, there are two words that I am not crazy about, and it's because of my own personal experience hearing people overuse them. We and should. I don't like we because... I mean, I shouldn't say writ large, I don't like the word we, but I have heard we so many times to mean not me. We should buy a couch. We should really, you know, in in college, a lot of my friends would go, we should really go into Boston this weekend and make a reservation. We should really order. somebody other than me. Yes. And you know what I would say to them? We means me. We doesn't mean we. We means me. Who's going to call and make the reservation? Julie. Okay. Not we, the that's collective a, we is not going to sit in front of the phone and call, you know, <laughs> Tasty Burger on Charles Street and make, I mean, it just drove me nuts. And I would always say we means me. Should, it, I dislike it for the same reason that I dislike we. It'd always be we should, we should, we should, and it would never happen. And I don't know, should to me is a bit passive. I like when things are done. I don't like when things are in, in in anticipation or intended to happen. So I understand that, but I've never taken should in that way. Okay. I take should as I'm obligated to. Right. Or I can do better. That's, it's not the exact same as should, because that's a can. Right. Can and should are not the same. So I, I remember... 
that in the 60s, it was a hugely popular, 70s really, or 60s, 70s, I don't remember, because I was very young in the 60s, but I was already in, you know, quite into adulthood in the 70s, but uh, it, do- it doesn't matter. What I remember is this very famous statement, therapist after therapist on TV, radio, and print would say, there are no shoulds in life, and I thought, my life revolves around shoulds. Mm. I should call my parents. I, I, I should give more charity. My, my life revolves around shoulds. That's interesting. See, when, again, even when you just said that word, you're, I understand why your life revolves around shoulds because you do those shoulds. The reason – how many times in a sentence, by the way, can we say the word should? <laughs> People at home should – if they had a drinking game for every time we said the word should, they'd be on the floor. Again, when you say it, you're actually going to do it. When I hear that word, I just think of the millions of people who say it and they have no intention of doing the thing that they should do. So that's why I You're right. No, no, you I start to get it, hives you, when I yeah, hear it. Yeah, you hear it differently. I do. But when you hear it my way, you like it. No, of course I like it. See, I would maybe you, substitute you, the word for must. You are a definite should person. I, Thank you. I, no, I mean, and it's a big compliment. I kind of hate that you said it for my own associations with it, but given your... No, it's I a like completely it. admirable part of no, you. No, thank you. I appreciate that. You should that. visit your sister. Yes. But I do the should. Yes. A lot of people don't do the should. I I take it as a given. Well, look, let's say you don't do... Okay, I'll even go there, uh, I, and I don't agree with you. Uh, let's put it this way. I don't hear it the way you do. We're going to start fist fighting right so, now. So here... The person, the what was that? Oh, watch out for my kicks! I knew the he le- was going to say the that. length of my legs. I could, I could kick you. So, I rather a person believe in shoulds and not live them than a person who denies there are shoulds. I have a fighting chance for a, for hmm. making a person good if they believe there are shoulds in life. That's interesting. Hmm. It's like we spoke earlier. Jefferson knew slavery was wrong. And and he eventually abolished it, though he had slaves. Because of the of the constitution that he helped develop. Well if you don't recognize their their let's say I substituted the word moral obligation, would you be okay with that? Of course. Okay. Yes. Okay. What's the difference between a should and a moral obligation? Again, it's really not so much about the word. It's just my associations with the word. Okay, that's People fair. who use the, the phrase moral obligation, I feel, are more likely to fulfill that moral obligation than, than people who I've heard right, use the word should. Right, but it sounds pompous to say I, sh- it does. I, I have a moral obligation to visit my sister. I admit it is does. It's different than I should visit my sister. See, this – you actually just raised something that I was thinking about recently – you, you said, I'd rather have someone who recognizes that there are shoulds and right. doesn't follow through with them than yes. someone who says there are no shoulds. Right. I was thinking recently, is it easier – I was thinking about this within the context of our, our conservatism. Is it easier to get a hard leftist to see the light or a liberal to see the light? My, my – um, my brain tells me, well, of course it's easier to get someone who's closer to us, i.e. a liberal, to see our side than someone who's a totally avowed leftist. But actually, if you look at the evidence, people who are avowed leftists are more likely 
to kind of turn around and become conservative, I think, than liberals. Look at Amala Epinobi at PragerU. She was a hard, she worked for a leftist campaign. PragerU just hired this other new influencer uh, named Xavier. He was a BLM founder. Or not founder, I'm sorry. I think he was a founder of a chapter of BLM within his hometown. And I've seen it before. Um, mm. the, the the guy that we have Shabbat with, Zach, he said that he had like tattoos and piercings and he would, you know, when he got pulled over by cops, he would yell at them. And now he's the most straight arrow conservative guy. So Father I Father of two. Right. So actually, I don't know if I'd agree with you because... The people who know that there are shoulds Wait, you don't and don't know if you'd agree with me with about regards. the sh- about the you'd rather have people who know that there are shoulds and don't yes. follow through with them because oh the left believes in shoulds it, it does substantiate your point you, you should sacrifice to to avoid uh, uh, carbon emissions I think my point is the the people who actually are out who are very radical sometimes i think are easier to turn around than that, the people that are in the no, middle right. I don't, I, that's the that parallel may well i'm trying be, to draw but i didn't find the relationship to the should issue you think that liberals have more shoulds than than uh, leftists yes i do my pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year you have all helped to build my pillow into the great company that it is today Now Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back to you listeners. The Percale and Giza Dream bed sheets, which I own and are fantastic, are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percale and Giza Dream sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now by calling 1-800-566-6745 and use the promo code HARTMAN. Or go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use the promo code HARTMAN. I'm sorry to say, I don't know what damn thing liberals stand for. That's true. I know what leftists stand for. I know what conservatives stand for. Liberals stand for not confronting the left and and thinking like their grandparents did, that the right is the enemy. I think the liberals have more shoulds because, again, they're in that middle ground and they kind of reach across both sides and they're just, again stuck in quicksand and they grasp at everything leftists have very hard shoulds and they have very hard should nots liberals i think only really have shoulds i hope you guys are playing a drinking game at home with this (laughs) this is unbelievable you know andy cohen on watch what happens live he has a you wouldn't know this this is a housewife's thing Uh he does the word of the night and he says if you're at home you hear this word drink our word of the the night is shoulds it's an interesting question who is more easily converted to uh, conservatism a liberal or a leftist i think a leftist paradoxically of course i'm going off of yeah, anecdotal evidence uh, and you might be right because at least at least i have a chance of saying look you stand for x and i stand for y mm-hmm. and if he'll listen i have a chance but the liberal I don't know what the, I truly, I don't, do, do, I wrote a column, I, I wish every American read it, every liberal anyway, 32 differences between liberalism and leftism. I love that column. It is so important. I mean, it what, is. So what do you, do, do you stand for racial integration? You're a liberal. 
Mm-hmm. Do you stand for racial integration? That was like the essence of the battle for a better America. And now Columbia University is an all-black dorm and all-black graduation exercises. I don't hear one liberal say a word against it. Yeah, the, I think the liberals just kind of go around and agree with whatever is opportune at the time. Not that leftists don't yes. do that, but I think they do that more than leftists. Now, look, perhaps the example of me would serve as evidence against the point that I just made, but I don't think, meaning I was a liberal and then right. I wasn't a leftist and you became are, a conservative, right. but I actually wouldn't. I don't think my experience is the best example because, as I say all the time, I actually don't think I was a liberal. I think I was a conservative and didn't know how to express it. You were at the door, and somebody simply had to open it up. Yeah, that's what it was. That's all. And then the floodgates opened. Yep. You were not a tough sell. Not at all. I swear, I watched two or three PragerU videos, and I was like... This makes sense. This all makes so sense. So that's my that's was a great lesson. If I did tell you'll know if I told the story or not. About the Norwegian guy I met at Philadelphia Airport. Yes. Who had the slight accent and yeah. he asked where and, yeah. yeah, and and I just said, Oh the, oh, the you're from Norway. Uh, he 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 knew who I was and he he loved Prager you. Mm-hmm. I said, There are conservatives in Norway? And he goes, I don't know if I'm conservative. Right. It's just logic. Yep. And that was so correct. I get a lot of those what reactions position do from internationals. We hold that is not logical. It is not logical that the human being is 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 non-binary. That's not logical. <laughs> Men menstruate is not logical. Okay, and and none of their positions are logical. It, California won't sell a. Uh, not only won't sell a a gas-driven car. Ban them. Yes, but not only car, they will do it for trucks. It will end the trucking industry at the ports of California. This country will go into a massive recession mm. because of the banning of gas trucks. None of their positions are logical. The, you, you, it's only logical when you, when you accept a premise that is a model. Well, they did modeling, and by, by the end of the century... The seas will rise. Mm-hmm. Well, human beings adapt. They know how to figure out rising seas, if that even would happen. Right. Right. We have. We have adapted to it. Look at Holland. Right. Holland's built underwater. It's, it's, it's actually remarkable that it is. You know, this is, this is a point that I wanted to bring up a few minutes ago when we were talking about, you know, what is... What do people hear who oppose you when they're listening to you yeah. that I don't understand? I think right now, and some people could argue about this with conservatism, but I don't really think it holds up. But I think right now it is extraordinarily difficult to be on the left. I mean, more than any any other time in history, at least you know, 20 years ago, you could have some justification that the left may have good positions or do some good things. But now... I'm sorry to to speak in such general terms, forgive me, but I don't see any, and I mean any, position on the left that makes any kind of sense or is or is in any remote way good for this country. So I think right now it is extraordinarily difficult for someone to say that they are, whether they're a liberal or a leftist, on that side of the aisle. And so it fascinates me, why do people still remain? Surely people now see how, you know, I, I'm thinking of a relative I have who I was just talking with. 
she says that she's on the left. I know her. I know that she's not a crazy person. I know that she does have some common sense and rationality, but she still claims to be a Democrat. And I think the reason why they don't accept, you know, that, that for instance, teaching kids young gender or teaching young kids radical gender ideology is insane is because if they make one concession, it folds in their entire worldview like I was talking with this relative of mine about this economic recession that is hurling uh, towards us at the speed of lightning. And I could see that there was a part of her that agreed with me and understood because I was talking about the trucking thing. But she refused to fully acknowledge that it was going to happen. And I was sitting there and I was going, she literally can't acknowledge that this is going to happen because then everything that she believed or claimed to believe over the past 30 years of her life would just crumble beneath her. And I said this about when when we were in the, the heights of COVID and why so many people my age were not mad that we were sent home from school, even though all the evidence indicated that it was crazy, but they, they said that they supported it. They had a psychological incentive to support the COVID lockdowns. They had to believe that us being sent home from Harvard uh, for a year and a half did actually save lives or they would be so devastated by the fact that they lost this precious time in college that it would crumble them. I really think a lot of these people who remain Democrats, it's not I think genuinely they know that it's crazy, but they can't psychologically let their mind go there because it's so devastating to know that everything they've been taught has been so wrong and such a lie. Well, I think you would love the book, The God That Failed. Are you familiar with that? No. Leading communists in the West saw what Stalin had done, tens of millions murdered in the name of what they believed in communism, and they wrote a book together. I think Arthur Kessler was one of the major names there. It's a short book. You should look at it. It's exactly about this, the God that failed. It's very admirable for a human being to say that their God failed. Very tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the average age of these persons writing it were probably in the 50s or 60s. At 60 years old to say what the fundamental beliefs you have had were not just wrong, but led to unprecedented evil... So you're in Chicago and you vote Democrat. You vote for the people who are entirely responsible for the frightening uptick in violent crime. For people who let people, who beat people up out without bail, without having to even pay bail. The examples are now legion, like the the most recent, the guy who used an axe to smash up a whole McDonald's and terrorize people with his axe. There was a woman beheaded here in California about a week and a half ago. Literally on the street, some guy ran up with a samurai sword and beheaded her on the street. What do we live in the Middle Ages? Well, It's unbelievable. The Middle Ages had had more of a sense of right and wrong than the left does today, actually. It was just chaos. Uh, But it wasn't moral chaos. They knew that was wrong. It just they, they couldn't they didn't know how to stop it. We know how to stop it. It's called mm-hmm. police. It's called jails. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not that complicated. I can't stand our jail system because I think that prisoners are, are maltreated. But jails are the answer to violent right. crime. I, that, that is what you want to do. A, to punish, B, to deter, and C, to protect. The, the three huge benefits of jails, yep. of prisons. Mm-hmm. And, and yet they vote for them. Your, your point is right. The average student at your school at Harvard lost a year and a half of, of, of classes. One of the, 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 perhaps the biggest reason to go to Harvard is for the experience. Of course. I'm, I'm well aware of it. Yes. The finest speakers, the finest artists, the finest musicians. Going to they, Israel, they're, they're, they have yeah, all these trips. Yes, it's a, unbelievable. Exactly correct. And they had none of it. None. None. They sat home like, like they were an unemployed video game player. And and so they have a choice. Do I get angry at Harvard or do I say Harvard was right and I just got to suck it in? To say Harvard screwed my life like all the other colleges did, and that's what they did, ladies and gentlemen. The colleges screwed your kids' lives. The, and, and worse were the high schools and elementary schools. Sweden did not close one day schools under the and age of kids of the 16. Exactly. Yep. Well, I found this when I would talk to a lot of my friends. I would go, doesn't this anger you so much? Look at all of the evidence. Well, that was I your mean, article in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, yes. And, and you know, well, right. I mean, I was writing the Wall Street Journal article about masks, as you know. But, yes, the same argument applies. And I would say to them, we lost a year and a half of our precious time here for what? They're, you know, ba- I don't know what the numbers are now, but the last time I checked uh, – Individuals under the age of, I think, 24 in this country, fewer than around 700 have died from COVID. Almost all of those 700 who died from COVID had severe... Comorbidities. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it was just completely and utterly around. And as we know, look, I don't need to to talk you off about the evidence that many of the lockdowns were... Uh, misguided. But I would say, doesn't this make you so angry? We can never get this time back. We just graduated. We're done. And I would see that people could not let themselves look That's at the right. evidence. They would go, oh, but even, you know, who we can never know how many people we saved. And by the way, because I became a conservative, as again, I like to say, over the time of COVID, it was very difficult for me to face the music, if you will, with regard to how stupid those lockdowns were. When I was looking at all of the evidence that is out there about how rare it is to die or even get severely sick at our age from COVID and how masks don't work, the the anger that I felt, you, you just can't imagine it. And that's an anger that so many of my peers want to avoid. And that was my point. I think that right now the Democratic Party has gone insane, insane, whatever bad stuff conservatives have done in the past few years and there have been some bad stuff it pales in comparison to the damage that the left is doing but again i don't think people can really go there and see how just how bad it is and and admit to themselves that well, it's bad the the bad it's too part devastating is the, the gaslighting right what do you what do you mean we're sexualizing children yes the, what are you talking about and this was said to me on the Young Turks, which we didn't get to. Maybe we'll get to next time. Oh, we should have gotten to it. It's so good. But yes, next time. Yeah, it, 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 it's not dated. To explain to the viewers, Dennis recently went on the Young Turks show and debated, what's her name? Anna Kasparian. And it's it's priceless. Well, it's, it's, it, 
It's one of the most popular, if not the most popular, left-wing podcast in America. Mm-hmm. And I, I salute them for inviting me on. I do, too. Uh, and so, of course, I accept it. I've been dying to debate uh, prominent leftists. I'm not going to debate everybody with a left-wing opinion, which, uh, which is the, these people have a huge audience, and I was thrilled to go on their show. But that, that was when I raised the issue of, uh, of what the, the teachers are doing to sexualize children prematurely. So she basically said, I don't, I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but the essential message was, what are you talking about? You, you guys, I'm sorry? Yeah, oh, is that what she said? Was that was the when was where is the data? Oh, well, uh, for that we do have data, but it's funny. I mean, oh, no, no, that's different. That's about when I spoke about, oh, no, no, that is separate and completely. That's about, I raised a number of issues. Uh, the The antipathy to girls who would say, was well, getting up in a high school or college you class. You raised many issues on the Young Turks spot. Yes, I did saying. on the Young Turks, and I and I do frequently. I said, if a, if a young woman gets up in a college class or a high school class, what, what, when they're asked, okay, well, the women tell us what you'd like to do with your life, and one gets up and said, look, you know, career is nice, but frankly, my greatest yearning is to find a good man and, and make a family. She would be regarded as a kook or as a loser. I think loser would be the best. So she said, where's your data? Anna so, said that, right, yeah, Anna? Yeah, I mean, where's my data? Well, we, there is no data on how people would react <laughs> to a girl. The answer was spot on. Yeah, okay, but... Uh, the point that I was making was... The gaslighting, the sexualization yes. of children. Oh, what are you talking about? This is not really happening. Right. So at Disneyland and Disney World won't say boys and girls anymore, and, and, and it's not happening? The eradication of the boy-girl difference is not happening? So what they do is what you're saying. They live in denial. Mm-hmm. The moment... The, it's a fragile edifice, leftism. People must know, and I could prove it. Why do they object when we go to campuses? They have four years to indoctrinate them. We have an hour and a half to give a speech. Why do they? Why are they afraid of our yep. speech? Yep. They have a right to be. You can puncture the left-wing balloon in ten minutes. We do it in five minutes. Literally, literally, you do it in five yes. minutes. Yes, you can do it in one line. Well, Reagan did That's, it in that one line. That was for yes. you. Yes. The government is not the answer. It's or not, not the, the solution. solution. It's the problem. Yes, it's exactly right. Uh, look, I. All right. Uh, how do you reach you? Because uh, we're. Oh it's, my it's gosh! We had a good I'm time. telling you, it goes by so fast. Next time we're going to Thank react. Thank God. Thank God. Right. Imagine if we were. But in next this time, going. yes. People should go on the internet though and try to in find meantime, my. Uh, my half hour on the Young Turks. Yes. Well, we will talk about it uh, next time. We'll analyze certain things because there are so many things I want to say about oh, it. Oh, good. I, w- when I said a few minutes ago, boom, I just want to tell the viewers, there were so many lines that Dennis had on that appearance that I was sitting in front of my computer going, boom, every time you said something. I think my parents thought that I was having a mental breakdown. Anyway, you can reach me at julie at julie-hartman.com and you can go onto our Instagram or Twitter pages, which is at Dennis Julie Pod, and then our Facebook account is Dennis and Julie. That was easy. I read all of my mail. She and does. 
I, it is painful to me that, that, that I can't respond to everything. That one you sent me from the lawyer was I very send a lot of them to Dennis, and I promise you yes. I read them, and I'm Good. very Bless thankful. You. Okay, everybody, see you next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.